Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the last several weeks now, we've been in this series entitled Established. And what we've been doing is we've been seeing how we can be established or rooted in our relationship with God and in the love of God. And of course, long ago in week one, we said that the first step in being established in the love of God is knowing God. And a lot of people in church and a lot of people on the planet, they know about God. They know facts about God. They know things about God. But it's more than that. It's more than just knowing about God. It's about having an intimate, personal relationship with God. Jesus, while he was on earth, he said that eternal life was knowing God the Father. And so eternal life is not a place we go to when we die. Eternal life is a relationship we have with God on this earth. The next thing we said about knowing God and being established in a relationship with God is we have to learn to hear God's voice. God speaks to his children. He always has and he always will. Now, he doesn't speak today like he did in the Old Testament. He doesn't speak through burning bushes. He doesn't speak through hands writing on the wall. He doesn't speak by coming down to visit us and have a a meal with us like he did with Abraham. It'd be great if he did. I would love it if God would come down in the morning and have a cup of coffee with me and, you know, kind of tell me, hey, bonehead, this is what you're messing up on there, here, and here's what you need to do right, idiot. And so I'd really appreciate it if God, and I could take it from God, but, you know, I'd really appreciate if God would come down and face-to-face audibly speak to us, but he doesn't do that anymore. But he still speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. He, he speaks to us through godly authorities and godly friendships in our lives. And so the issue isn't that God doesn't speak. The issue is that we don't recognize his voice. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and know me. So and the next step we have to do is learn to recognize the voice of God. Then we said the next thing we've got to do is not only listen to God, we've got to learn to talk to God. Talk to God, of course, is prayer, but prayer is not a religious exercise. And too many believers, even too many born-again believers who truly worship God correctly, we, we look at prayer as a religious exercise. We have our prayer lists, we have our prayer time, we have our prayer place, and those are all good and valuable and necessary. But prayer isn't just something we do once or twice a day. It's not something we say real quick over our meals. Prayer is a conversation with our loving Heavenly Father. And God wants us to talk to him. God invites us to talk to him. You know, a lot of times politicians, of course, will say they want to hear from their constituents. They'll say, I want to hear your opinion on these matters, but they don't really want to. And you can call their office and you'll get a voicemail, you'll get an assistant, you can send an email. You never get, they're never, they don't really want to hear from you. They just want to appear like they want to hear from you. But God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of everything, He desires for you to speak to him. 
And he wants you to be open with him. He wants you to be honest with him. He wants you to invite him into every area of your life. Last week, of course, we looked at one of the next steps about becoming established in, the, in our walk with God and establishing our relationship with God is to serve God. Last night before his crucifixion, Jesus, again, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the creator of everything, he humbled himself and he washed the feet of his disciples. He served men who didn't deserve to be served. He served the betrayer, Judas. He served the denier, Thomas. He served the one who would, who would uh, deny him three times and, and Peter. He, he served these men humbly. And that's how we are supposed to serve others. We, we humble ourselves and serve others. And as we do that, we are loving them, but we're also serving God as we serve them. So today we're going to look at probably what is the most powerful practice in the Christian life. And the most important thing we have to have to be established in our love with God. And that is walking with God. Now I know what you're probably thinking isn't reading your Bible and praying and serving God, walking with God. Well, yes and no. It's part of it. It's vital parts of it. But it's not the whole thing. Those are all part of building our relationship to God. But what we're going to talk about today will keep you listening to God through his word. It will keep you talking to God in prayer. It will keep you serving others and serving God. What we're talking about today is walking with other believers who will help you walk with God. See, in life, nothing will hurt you more than people. People will hurt you emotionally, People will hurt you spiritually. People will hurt you physically. Nothing hurts us more than people. But the truth is, nothing heals us more than God working through other people. So while people can hurt you, God also uses people to heal you. So if we're going to walk with God faithfully, if we're going to learn to grow from his word, if we're going to learn to, learn to cast our care upon him, we need other people to help us. And this, this isn't something we can do half-heartedly. It's not something we can do just put on a show and act like, it ha like we're doing it. It has to be done authentically. It has to be done honestly. Walking with God always includes walking in humility with others. The Christian life was never meant to be done alone. You know, of course, of the creation story, God, he created everything. He, he spoke and the world existed and he spoke and light and there was earth and there was water and there was fish and there was animals. And God just, in six days, spoke all these things into existence. And he, he said every, every day, he goes, it was very good. It was very good. Then he created Adam. Formed him out of the dust and breathed the breath of life into him. And he looked at Adam and he gave Adam a job. Adam, I want you to name all the creatures. I want you to tend the garden. I want you to take care of my creation. And he's looking at Adam. Adam's down there and he's naming all these, these creatures. You know, he's got two rhinos and, and two, two elephants and two all these other animals. And God looks at Adam and says, Adam's by himself. And that's not good. It's not good that man is alone. So he created Eve. He created woman, and the fall of man happened. But the point is, God looked at man, 
and said, life's not meant to be lived alone. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. That's why when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by two. That's why the, the word church is a called out assembly. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not a place we come to. It's a group of believers we fellowship and worship with. God wants us to have others help us in our walk with God. Time and time again, the Bible teaches us the value of walking with other believers. In Proverbs 13, 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 27, 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. And there are many, many more. The point is, we need other believers to help us in our walk with God. We cannot do it alone. One time Jesus was asked by a lawyer what the most important commandment uh, of all was to God. And Jesus replied, So thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Then he said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If we love God with everything we have. And if we love others with everything we have, we have the Christian life right. We have what God wants us to do right. Jesus is teaching what life is all about. Life is all about relationships. His life on earth, it was about relationships. He built relationships with men and women that would go out and build relationships with others that would spread the gospel throughout the world. In the end, all that matters to God is people. He came to earth for people. He lived his life for people. He died on the cross for people. He rose again three days later for people. All that matters to God is people. Everything he does is for people. The cross is about God and people. I mean, look at the cross. It's got two pieces, of course. It's got a horizontal piece. That represents our, it's our vertical piece. That represents our, thank you, Michael. That represents our relationship with God. Then it has a horizontal piece. That represents our relationship with people on earth. The cross is all about people. The Christian life is about receiving the love, the grace, the mercy of God, and then learning to share it with others. God works in us, and as God works in us, and then we work for Him. If we are going to walk with God, we have to learn to walk in humility with others. And that's what Peter's talking about in First Peter chapter five. So look at First Peter chapter five, verse number five. It says, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. You know, I used to uh, use that verse all the time against my sister. Like, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. I'm elder than you. Not what it means. But anyway, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with what? Humility. Peter says... We are to be clothed with humility. But look, he's not talking about humility towards God. 
He's not talking about our humility towards God the Father. He's talking about our humility with other people. He's saying, hey, be subject one to another. Be humble one towards another. We are to be humble towards each other. This whole passage is about a relationship towards other believers. And look how it continues. Of course, one of the most famous passages, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. But again, he's not talking about a pride towards God. He's talking about a humility towards other believers. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth you. Again, another famous verse, casting all your care upon God, for he careth you. But it's given in reference to humility towards other believers. But then he gives a stern warning. Look at verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So here's what Peter's telling us. We are to live humbly with each other. We are to live humbly among ourselves with each other because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, humility is the chief virtue of the Christian life because every other virtue flows out of humility. I'm not living a life that is pleasing to God without living a life that has faith-fueled humility. It's humility that grows from sincere faith and a relationship with Jesus, and it's the first step in receiving God's grace in our lives. We have to humble ourselves to receive God's grace, to realize we can't save ourselves, we can't redeem ourselves, we are hopeless and helpless, so we have to humble ourselves before God to receive His grace. But if we don't have humility, then we don't have the power of God in our lives. If we don't have humility, we don't have a changed life. So if we don't have godly humility towards others, then the Bible says we're on the wrong team of God because God opposes the proud. So if we're not humble with other believers then we're fighting against God. But humility is a topic that's often misunderstood. So to see what humility, biblical humility really is, we're going to see three truths. First of all, we're going to see, number one, humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. Look again at verse number five. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Uh, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. Peter tells us to clothe ourselves in humility, meaning it is something we choose to put on. Now looking around, every one of you this morning chose to wear clothes. And I appreciate that like you wouldn't believe. Some of you may have even chose what you were going to wear. Some of you husbands may not have chose your own clothes. Your wife may have chose it for you. Some of the kids downstairs, your parents may have chosen the kids clothes for them. But we chose to put on clothes this morning. Clothing ourselves with humility 
is something we have to choose to put on. It's not an emotion. It's not a characteristic. It is something we have to make a choice to practice every single day. Because you choose to get dressed every single day. You have to choose to clothe yourself in humility every single day. But what is humility? Most people think that humility is being timid or shy or not thinking very much of yourself. You're not that good. You're just okay. That is not the biblical definition of humility. Humility and timidity are not the same thing. You can be very courageous and be humble. As a matter of fact, if we're, as we're going to see, to be humble takes courage. It takes incredible courage to have biblical humility. Humility requires trust. It is choosing to trust God and trust others with the real me. Humility is how we receive love. The degree that I trust you is equal to the degree that I allow you to love me. Humility is a big deal. And the only way to experience the real love of God and the real love of others is to be courageous enough to be yourself, to be honest and open and humble before other believers. The more prideful you are, the lonelier you will be. Because people could be trying to love you, but they're not trying to love the real you. They're trying to love this person you're pretending to be. They're trying to love an image that you are, that you are presenting. They're trying to love someone who doesn't exist. Pride keeps you lonely. The only way to experience the real love of God and the real love of others is to be courageous enough to be the real you. And let's be honest, this is how this is vastly different than how most people act in church. Church is where we pretend. We put on the good clothes. Look, I don't wear this every day. I hate wearing this stuff on Sundays. You come to the office on a Tuesday, you're going to find me in t-shirts, uh, t-shirt, flip-flops and shorts. That's what that's what I'm going to wear. If I could get away with it on a Sunday morning, I would. Because this is not the real me. But I, I put on this, this, not fancy, but I put on this outfit to be something I'm not. I hate suits. I hate, that's why I don't wear ties. The guy who, worked, who admitted ties, he's burning in hell, I guarantee you. Because he just wanted to choke people to death. But, uh, so, but this isn't the real me. And so when you come to church, you're, not, you're pretending to be something that you're not. People come up to you and say, hey, brother, great to see you. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? Oh, I'm great. No, we're not. We're not fine. We're broken. Let's just be honest. We're all a mess. We've all got issues. We are not okay. But we pretend to be in church. We should say, I'm not okay. And you're not okay. But that's okay. Because God said it's going to be okay. Church is somewhere we should be able to be honest about what we're really going through. It's okay to not be okay. Now, it's not okay to stay that way. But it's okay to have issues. That's why we need each other. We just need to be real with each other. 
especially in church, especially with other believers. Church is supposed to be a place we can get help in our time of need. See, church, I don't know if y'all understand this, church is for sinners. It's for broken people. It's for people who are messed up and, and have baggage and have issues, but they want to be better. It's a hospital where people can get help. When we were in Jamaica, there was a guy who was giving Kenneth a hard time about some issues. He was just picking on Kenneth real hard. And finally, one day, he came up to Kenneth and was ragging him. And I was there. And uh, I'm asking him, I was like, why are you picking on Kenneth? He's like, oh, well, you know, he's just doing this and that. He shouldn't be. And, you know, Kenneth wasn't doing anything. And so April's there. And she's like, well, what are you, what are you selling there, sir? And he was selling these bootleg DVDs. She goes, let me see what you're selling. And I'm like, oh, Lord. We're in Jamaica. There ain't no telling what this guy's selling. And so she gets it. She's like, all these movies are rated R. Whew, thank the Lord. She's like, why are you selling these rated R movies? God says you shouldn't put any wicked thing before your eyes. Plus, they're bootleg. Why are you doing that? And he goes, well, I'm a sinner. And April said, well, we're all sinners. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, we're all, we're all sinners. We're just trying to serve God together. And that's what church is about. Church is about broken people who are all sinners who could just be honest with each other and say, hey, I'm not okay. Can you help me in this area? And as we do that, the more we're honest about who we are, the more we're honest about what's going on in our lives, then we, what we don't, the more we're honest about what we don't understand, the more we're honest about our struggles, the more God can use other people to heal us. God uses, gives opportunities for us to be healed, to change us, to empower us through the people that were honest and humble before. Church is where you need to be honest with what you're going through so you can get help in your time of need. Humility is about reality. You know, pride is about pretending. Humility is about trusting God and trusting others. Pride is about trusting yourself. Humility is a choice. So let's be a people that choose to clothe ourselves in humility and be honest with God and honest with others. Second thing we need to know about humility is number two, humility invites God's love to work in my life. Look at verse number six in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth you. The word care there in the Greek, it means anxiety. It means nervousness. If we are going to practice humility, let's just be honest, it's going to cause some anxiety. It's going to cause some nervousness. As we're honest with someone, are they really going to be okay with how un-okay I really am? And so it causes some anxiety. Remember, pride is about pretending. Humility is about reality. So what are you trying to pretend isn't really a problem in your life? You know, Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. He rose again three days later to save us eternally. But he also did it to save us in the here and now. You know, you're not okay. And I'm not okay. And all of us have stuff in our life that isn't okay. And by ignoring it, 
we're never going to be healed by it. We're never get healed by ignoring our issues. So we have got to stop denying our problems, stop ignoring them, and allow God and others to help us in our time of need. And that takes humility, but as we do that, it invites God's love and God's power to start working in my life. God knows everything you're ashamed of. And he loves you as you are. He doesn't love you as you're pretending to be. He loves you as you are actually. He loves you no matter where you've been. He loves you no matter what you've done. And no matter what's been done to you, God loves you. And humility invites God's love to work in your life as you are healed. And he helps make you whole through other believers. When God's love works in my life, it invites the real love of others to begin working in my life as well. And God's love is the only thing that can radically change your life from the inside out. And humility invites his love to work in your life. So humility is a choice. Humility invites God's love to work in my life. And number three, humility protects me from the adversary. Seems weird. Let me show it to you. Look at verse number eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Of course, this again is one of the most popular, most famous, most familiar verses in Scripture. The devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking to destroy us. But again, this verse is given in context of humility. Our humility towards others protects us from being devoured by the enemy. Do you know how lions hunt? The male lions have it easy. All the male lion does is sleep, eat, and make baby lions. That's it. It's a great life, if we're going to be honest here. You know who does all the work? The women lions. They do all the hunting. They do all the baby birthing. They do all of it. So when the male lion gets hungry, he just kind of rolls over and says, hey, go get me some food. And the females jump into action. Man, we should learn a lot from lions, can't we? I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the female lions jump into action. And they go out and they try to find a gazelle. Now, the good thing about the gazelle is the gazelle is faster than lion, than a female lion. The bad thing is there's a whole bunch of female lions trying to get one gazelle. So if they can get one gazelle out for the, the, the herd and they try to chase it around, if the gazelle is good and it's fast and it's smart, it can hopefully dive into some, some thick brush and get away from the lions. So the gazelle is small. The lions are big, so it jumps into some thick brush. The lions can't get to it. So the gazelle is safe. And then they go get the male lion. Female lion comes in and says, we need your help here because all women need a good man. Amen. No, I'm sorry. So they come get the lion's help. The lion goes up to the brush, and the lion roars. You ever heard a male lion roar? Like, not on TV, in real life. It is terrifying. We were in Chicago, in Bible College, went to the Chicago Zoo, and we were on the far side of the zoo, and the male lion started roaring, and we could hear him all, and it was, it, it sent chills up my arms. Like, that is, if I'm a gazelle, and I'm in Africa, and I'm in the brush, and I hear that, I'm scared. And so the gazelle in the brush... The, the lion is just roaring. The roar cannot hurt it, but it scares it. 
So what does the gazelle do? It jumps out of the brush to run away, and what happens? It gets eaten by the lions. It gets destroyed by the lion. So the gazelle is not paying attention, is terrified by the roar, it hops out of protective covering, and it gets destroyed. Now, the lion sounds scary, but if the gazelle stayed in the protection of the thicket, it would have been fine. You know, our enemy, he sounds scary, but he lies to us. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. That's how he roars. But if we stay in the protection of humility, we'll be fine. But the devil, he comes to us and he says things like, if you're honest with people, nobody's going to like you. If you let people know how bad you really are, they're going to ask you to leave the church. If you're honest about how, how, what you really struggle with, people are going to look down on you. If you're honest with God about your true struggles, he's not going to love you anymore. You're, in, you're a mess. And if you're honest with others, if you're honest with God, they're going to push you away. So you better keep it to yourself. When we listen to these lies, when we listen to these roars of Satan, it keeps us from getting help in our time of need. But when you are honest, when you are practicing humility, you are safe. Humility is our protective covering from the enemy. Because humility gets us the help we need to have to help us get over what we're dealing with. Satan lies to us with his roar, but if we practice humility, it keeps you from being eaten. Now think about this. What do you call a group of lions? A pride. Pride brings destruction. Humility brings safety. Let me tell you that's something that's beautiful and about authentic friendship centered around God's word. True, humble, authentic friendship protects you from being eaten. Pride leads to destruction. But humility protects us. So when we humble ourselves, where we can be authentic and honest, God's power begins to work in our life. It protects us from stupid decisions. It protects us from being alone and being destroyed. You know the animals that get eaten in the, in the jungle? The ones that are by themselves. The ones that are in the group, they're safe. It's the one that thinks, I think I'm going to go over here. It's safer over here. They're the ones that get cornered, listen to the roar, jump out, and get eaten by the lions. But humility keeps us safe. It is how God designed church to be. Now look, humility, let's just be honest here. Humility is not an easy thing to practice. It takes courage to be open and honest with other people about what you're really going through. It takes trust and it takes the love of others and the love of God. But we need to choose humility. We need to choose to be honest with God and honest with other believers. We need to choose to trust others with the real us. Humility allows God's love to work through our life. Humility protects us from being destroyed by the enemy. Let's begin to practice humility.